Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I would say Anything Goes is the quintessential 1930s musical. Oh, absolutely. It sure is. Right? Mm-hmm. And as I was researching it, I found that it was the second longest running musical of the 1930s, which then made me ask, well, if the quintessential musical of the 1930s is actually the second longest running one, what was the first? And do you know by chance what that is, Barbara? I do not know. what. Tell me, please. I'm on the edge of my seat. It's called Hell's a Poppin'. Hell's a Poppin'. That was the musical that ran the longest in the 1930s. Have I ever heard of it? Nope. Can I sing a song from it? Nope. But do you know a song from Hell's a Poppin'? Maybe if you give me the, the titles. What, do oh. you have the title, the song list well, I from think, Hell's a Poppin'? I think there, I mean, obviously there's the title tune, Hell's a Poppin'. Oh, Hell's a Poppin'. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's... Uh... It's, it's pretty snappy. I feel like you've absorbed so much history that it's back there. Like, it, um, if you just... Hell's a poppin', I'm a, a boppin', cause I've got the <laughs> gift of the razzmatazz. <laughs> you know, hell is That's better it. than heaven. That hell. was it! Was that it? Wonderful. That was the title track of Hell's a Poppin'. Wow. I, well, it is. It's buried deep in the, the cockles <laughs> of my skull. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Now, folks, you know that I am a big lover of theater history, musical theater history, all of the wonderful artists that have come from this art form. And yet, I had never heard of the legendary Barbara Dixon... Until my friend from Los Angeles, actress Leah Sprecher, introduced me to her work. And I got to tell you, folks, she is a character. You hear what I'm saying? So I want to thank Leah for introducing me to uh, our guest that I am now honored to introduce on a musical theater podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Barbara Dixon. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You said I can call you Jeff. Yes, please. What if I call you Jeff Scott P? <laughs> or how about how about just JSP? Is that cool? JSP is great. I definitely answer to that in the rehearsal oh, arena wonderful. environment. You know, it's, it's like the male version of SJP. 
thank you. Yes. Nothing wrong with that, I say. You're welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm not only a fan of Broadway, but I'm a performer as well. And let me tell you, I never pass up the opportunity to mount the stage, not even orally. So here we are. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm so that's That's wonderful. That's wonderful, yes. Barbara. Now, you are quite a sensation on Instagram. Oh, and, yes? Mm-hmm. And how did you find the, the IG, the old Insta, as we call it? How did I discover it? Yeah, like, what, did so, Did you discover the social media and no, grab a hold? No, you know what, actually? I have business cards that I, I, I got printed up. Uh, you, the listeners can't see, but you can see them. I don't know if it's... Anyway, Is that your headshot? Oh, these are a couple of my beautiful headshots. And then on the back, Glamour. it says, Barbara Dixon, the total package. Now, <laughs> the kid uh, the kid at Kinko's was the one who told me to add total package. And it turns out he was right on the money. But then he was the one that asked me why I was getting business cards in the year 2019. He said, everybody does this stuff online these days. And so he was the one that turned me on to Instagram. I've got 3,000 of these business cards. <laughs> if any of your listeners would like one, please tell them to find me on IG. Yeah. Broad- Broadway Barbara Official. At Broadway Barbara Official. They can get, I'll send them a signed business card. <laughs> that is a deal. That's Thank fantastic. Thank you. I think so too. Well, uh, you are a breath of fresh air on that social media, and you you have created videos spotlighting some of your talents, which are many, and uh, your credits, which are many. Yes. I've specifically invited you on to discuss the musical Anything Goes because you are a hoofer. Yeah? I sure am. I am a hoofer. For those who don't know, can you describe? what it is to be a hoofer, etc. Yes, darling. Well, I think what we have to first talk about is maybe the origin of tap dance, yes? Oh, because hoofing, yeah, why not? Please. Hoofing is tap dancing. So tap dance is a rich tradition in America. For and by sure. that, by that, I mean it was an art form developed by black people and then stolen by the whiteies. So, <laughs> you know, it belongs... Alongside other American art forms like rock and roll, hip hop, modern dance, and those Medea movies. <laughs> you know, last I heard they were developing a remake with Kevin James. It's shameless, absolutely Oh, that shameless. is shameless. That is I just I know, awful. isn't it though? But anyway, tap dance was seen as a vestige of vaudeville and, you know, a bit old fashioned. For sure, but- for sure. But it started getting worked into Broadway with the reviews of the 1930s, which, you know, which were like greatest hits shows. Where Absolutely. You got the Ziegfeld, you got the Gershwins, you got exactly. everybody creating these reviews. Right, and we'll get to that with Anything Goes, which was somewhat of its own review. But these reviews were like greatest hit shows where old classics and standards would be reworked for a new generation. They were kind of mm-hmm. like the jukebox musicals of their time. So, you know, I think we have the 1930s to blame for Rock of Ages and the Britney Spears musical. (laughs) Which I'm really excited to see that performed by someone other than Britney. Do you remember in the RuPaul seasons where there was that guy that was the Britney? You think he's... (gasps) 
Do you, you get Derek it? Barry out there I mean, in the he, Britney musical? He did Britney better than Britney. You're not you're not wrong, Barbara. I love that you're a drag race fan. Oh, of course I am. Are you kidding? The drag queens are, are my biggest support group. Did they ask for makeup tips or vice versa? You know, they did. They did ask for makeup tips, and I did do my beauty tutorial as a video if you want to go to the Instagram account. Um, sure. You know, many people wanted to see the process, but I myself haven't seen myself without makeup since I was 15. I just <laughs> close my eyes and beat my face. I just don't want to ruin the illusion. So Yeah. No, that is what theater's all about, is that magic. And you, you don't want to ruin that for the audience, and it sounds like not for yourself either. No, absolutely not. So I, di- I was able to still do a beauty tutorial with the help of a Farrah Fawcett head. Uh, that I bought off eBay. So check how that one was, out. How much did that run for? It, it's not cheap. It was probably no. about 150 bucks. Wow. And I can't use it again. She's, <laughs> her skin is dyed permanently. <laughs> Fair <say>. enough. <laughs> anyway. But, but back to tap dancing. Oh, back to tap dancing. So yes, I consider myself a hoofer first and mm. foremost. That is right. how I got my start. Uh, my first job in New York City was at a tap dancing themed beer bar in Times Square named Taps on Tap. <laughs> I had to tap dance for nine hours a day while carrying pint glasses of Lowenbrow. Oh Not my easy. goodness, what that is, that'll prepare you for anything in this business. Oh, it sure will, won't it? But I love, I love to perform, you know, even for people in Times Square. I was oh. one of those, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was one of those people in the Elmo costumes until last year. <laughs> You're kidding. Wow. Yeah. Did you ever have any dehydration problems? That It uh, seems like it was kind of treacherous. Oh, daily you vomit in your head. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that whole stint in the Elmo costume ended because... I got in trouble for kicking the naked cowboy. Oh, dear. Why did you have a physical altercation? He seems like a nice chap. I can't help it. I'm territorial. (laughs) He was inching in on my spot. Oh, man. Well, you you escaped that. You you came to Los Angeles. And then the pandemic hit. So, you know. Now, anything goes, like we mentioned earlier was a huge smash and kind of the quintessential musical of the 1930s, a decade which also gave birth to Annie Get Your Gun, Of the I Sing, Porgy and Bess. And why do you think Anything Goes kind of ranks above all of them as a great representation for what was popular during that decade? Oh, you know what? It beats me. (laughs) Anything Goes has been reworked more times than Nicole Kidman's lips. The plot... (laughs) Oh, shoot. You know... It's very madcap, which is a nostalgic word that means needlessly confusing and complicated. No, you're totally right. Multiple identities. Yeah, uh, identity theft, arranged marriages, organized crime, all sorts of elements that are still considered hilarious in today's world, I'd say. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's timeless. Maybe, you know, it's the beginning, as we were saying before, of those jukebox musicals. You've got a beautiful score by Cole Porter. For uh, sure. The plot points maybe don't matter because you just love singing those tunes. Those dang clever lyrics. You're exactly right. Let's let's talk about Cole Porter. This is the first musical of his that we're covering on the podcast. Oh, wow. I have a confession to make. Up until a couple of years ago, 
I assumed that, like many composers in musical theater, Cole Porter was a Jewish fella who changed his name in order to be more accepted, which is an unfortunate thing that happened all throughout our musical theater history. I was (laughs) very, very wrong, and I am totally okay with admitting that. Instead, I will read from a book about Cole Porter. Unlike many of his contemporaries who came from poor or modest Jewish immigrant families, Cole Porter was actually born into a wealthy Midwestern Protestant clan. He went to Yale. He wrote all of the football songs, which are still sung today. He had quite a different life than many of his contemporaries. And in in many ways, when you look at his work, it's both intelligent and sophisticated and living in these madcap worlds, right? He's mm-hmm. always thinking about Paris and singing about all of the finer things in life. Which he, of course, had access to, now we know. Exactly, exactly. So Cole Porter is very much a unique composer in this early time, especially since when you think about the Great Depression, which generally we think of between the years of 1929 and 1933, anything goes is in 1934, Mm -hmm. right at the beginning of this new era out of the Great Depression. And so you got old privileged pants himself, Porter, bringing to the table something that's both silly and sophisticated and I think exactly what people were in the mood for after this decade of hardship and recession and clawing our way out of out of the Great Depression. Absolutely. I didn't mean to say that he didn't have value. <laughs> I didn't get that at all, Barbara. Don't I mean, worry. I kind of poo-pooed. I mean, I said he was great, but I did not say that the show Anything Goes was something that was a barrel of laughs after people were <laughs> deep in depression. And maybe you're correct in that sense. So He made a splash for himself by writing Let's Misbehave. I mean, Cole Porter was known for some naughty lyrics. Yes, he was. A lot of scandal. I want to say, first, I want to say that basically Cole Porter was a legendary songwriter responsible for some of the all-time classics in history of musical theater, as you've said. I would say, I would argue... He's basically on the Mount Rushmore of people who've contributed to Broadway. Oh, wow. Yes. It's Cole Porter, Carol Channing, Jerome Robbins, and Tony Danza for his role in the Las Vegas production of The Producers. I have never, <laughs> I have never seen a more electric performer in my life, and you can quote me on that. So, yes. I will quote you on that, Barbara. <laughs> yes. So, Cole Porter is a legend, and he was a gay man. Am I correct in saying this? He was he was married to a very uh, patient woman. But definitely. we know that he okay yes you won't yeah, say he it had, in so many words. But. No no but he he certainly wasn't openly gay but he was very casually gay and that he would have pool parties with lots of boys over. He had uh, kind of lifelong companions that were always by his side. Mm-hmm. All the meanwhile uh, having this wife who. He loved in some way, certainly not of in the course. way that we think of in, uh, in traditional marriage. Mm-hmm. And there's, in fact, a whole film about him called Night and Day that is an old, old right. school musical film that is about him and his wife, which very much doesn't even touch on that portion of their relationship. Gotcha. But, uh, but they were both very public figures 
and also had this very complex relationship. Perhaps as you you were saying that, you know, he had his lyrics were had a ton of sexual innuendo, so perhaps that's where he channeled his sexuality. You know, Absolutely. I right. would say he so he's basically he was a gay man, secret gay man who wrote catchy stuff with a ton of sexual innuendo. So he was like the original Ryan Murphy, really. Let's just say that. <laughs> Cole um, Porter was the original Ryan Murphy. I think so. That's what we've come to. Um, <laughs> did you did you by chance see the film De Lovely with Kevin Klein and Ashley Judd? It kind and, of goes a little bit more into that. Right. I, I I never got a chance to see that film, but I. It's not great, but it has its heart in the right place. Right. Well, that song "De Lovely" is probably the best song in the musical. Anything goes. Isn't so, it fantastic? It's a fantastic oh my gosh. song. I, I'm not sure I can think of another show except for maybe one written by Irving Berlin, where there are so many standards in one score. Now, sure. like you said, over the years since 1934, "Anything Goes" has been revised and revised and revised, and other Cole Porter songs have been put in, and some have taken out. It has quite a, a trajectory to what the to the show that we have now. Exactly, you know. Just speaking on these changes, if if I might. Yeah, uh, please, please. I recall there was Ching and Ling in the original version, who yes, were the... two Chinese stereotypes, right? Correct. So, so that was certainly unfortunate and really needed to be addressed. So. In later versions of the show, those characters were changed into Italian mobsters, which is a stereotype everyone seems to enjoy. <laughs> uh, and then, and then in the most recent revival, uh, they kept the mobsters, if I'm correct, but then cast Chinese men to play them. So, oh, yes, what an so, interesting twist! Right. So anything goes is like the American South. We keep trying to get the racism out of it, and it keeps getting put back in. <laughs> I'm really impressed at how progressive you are, Barbara. Thank um, you. Well, these are changing times. We've got to keep up with the changing times. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a what a great example for your generation. Thank you, you so much. I Thank you for it. I know. Now, the show was originally brought to pass by this producer named Vinton Friedley. And knowing that Cole Porter was a great composer, he gets him to to write the entire score. And the book was written by P.G. Wodehouse and Guy Bolton, both of whom were famous kind of essayist, humorist writers, also playwrights of the time. And they constructed this whole musical about things happening on a cruise line. Mm -hmm. This concept also seems to be very popular in the 1930s. There are there's there's so many sailors in 1930s musicals, am I right? Yes, you're correct. Maybe it was because Cole Porter liked his sailors, I don't know. I mean, that tracks. <laughs> now the original uh, this is this is rumor, but rumored by a lot of people that the original script had like a bomb scare. So a, a big plot point would be that the ship was going to sink. Now, right around that time, there was an actual cruise liner uh, called the Moro Castle that did sink. It, it was shipwrecked and was, it was a huge story. The producer kind of freaked out because now this very important plot point in the show seems a little tone deaf. So then he gets two other people to come in and rewrite some of the book uh, because Guy Bolton and P.G. Wodehouse are busy doing different things at this point. So he gets 
Russell Krauss and Howard Lindsay, who in many ways uh, after this become incredibly popular playwrights, both in, in straight plays and musicals. They wrote Life with Father, which was a really long running play. And then they also wrote the book for Sound of Music. But that means that in addition to all of the the different revisions over the years, you've just got a list of all of these dudes trying to fix the script. Right. And I, I also re- recall another fun fact that, you know, after they scrapped the original version of the show, they had to have it remain set on a boat because they'd already built all the sets, correct? Oh, that, that, that totally makes sense to me. Yes, yes. So I also want to say that also happened with Phantom of the Opera. That musical was originally entitled Old Half-Faced Jerry and His Giant Chandelier. They totally, <laughs> they reworked it after previews, but kept all the sets. Sets are expensive, darling. They are. I had no idea. What was it called again? Old, old, old half faced Jerry and his giant chandelier. And then they had to scrap that script, but they had that giant chandelier and they had that mask. They had to like, what you gonna it. do? What can you do? That's yeah. you know, I remember always being a replacement on Broadway tours. You have to fit the costumes. Mm. I actually have a, a quite a wonderful story about having to fill in that has to do with costumes. Would you like to hear it? Yes, please. Okay. There was a time I was understudying the female lead in Laverne and Shirley the Musical. Oh. (laughs) Yes. We had barely hit previews when one night on the other end of the phone I heard those magic words, Barbara, we need you. Shirley's got shingles on her face. Oh, shoot. You know, there was just one catch. To get the job, I lied about my size. Oh, no. Yes, the woman I was understudying was four foot nine and weighed about 76 pounds. Well, I managed to shimmy myself into her costume. But at the end of the first act, I did a particularly acrobatic grand jeté. And I I split that dress from my tits to my anus. (laughs) But, you know, as they say, the show must go on. So it must go on. I did the entire back half of the show completely nude. And oh. uh, unfortunately, I hadn't trimmed the hedges in a while. So <laughs> uh, my crotch looked like the shower drain at an Armenian day spa. <laughs> but by the end of the night, I was the talk of the town. You know, I, I bet the, you were. Most of the talk being the audience demanding an immediate refund. Unfortunately, the show closed during curtain call, so... Oh, no. I know. But that's... Costumes are paramount. That is the biz. Those are the breaks. I mean, listeners can't see you, but you really do have on quite a smashing jacket ensemble. Thank you Um, so much. This is my athletic wear. (laughs) Is it? I mean, it looks breathable. Oh, it sure is. That makes Mm. sense. It's sheer. It's sheer, darling. And on purpose, it's sheer, right? Of course, you yeah, don't want to you don't want to leave anything to the imagination. No, and you certainly didn't in that performance of Laverne and Shirley. Are there any other you know greatest hits that you'd like to share with our listeners? Because I know you have just a, a treasure trove of stories from your career. You know, my my claim to fame is logging more audition time without booking a lead than any performer in Broadway history. Wow! So congratulations. Oh, thank you. So for a while, my nickname was Someone Call Security, because that's the only way they could get me to leave an open call. 
I once auditioned for Jesus Christ Superstar and Starlight Express at the same time. No. Let's face it. Yes, those two shows are basically interchangeable. Don't ask me how I did it. Let's just say I took a few of the magic pills my son Buddy was prescribed to help him pay attention in school. And I did <laughs> what the kids call a mashup of I don't know how to love him and he whistled at me. Because again, <laughs> it's basically the same song. Right. So the producers tried to get me to stop. But when I start performing, you can't interrupt me. It's like waking up a sleepwalker. You're liable to get bitten for your troubles. So <laughs> I finished panting and sweating, and they just blinked at me. And I said, what's it going to be, big shots? You want me as Mary Magdalene or a talking train? They just said, Miss Dixon, these are the auditions for Miss Saigon. Oh, well, no. You're honest, kidding. Honest mistake. What can you uh, do? Yeah. Absolutely. Those Pearl Studios, there's so many of them. There's so many, and what's it called? What's the other guy? Uh, Ripley. Oh, Ripley Greer, of course. Did Ripley Greer close? I heard it. I heard it might have closed. I don't know. Do you know the last thing I heard about the audition facilities in New York prior to, of course, the pandemic, which unfortunately has shut everything down, was the Phantom Defecator. Oh, somebody was taking turds in the corners? (laughs) Yes. Yes, somebody was pooping at the Broadway open calls. Well, I'm pissed I didn't think of that myself. (laughs) Maybe could have gotten me some jobs, you know? It could have been right out of the Barbara Dixon handbook. I think so. You don't stop. You don't quit. Do everything it takes. Uh, well, speaking of, you know, actors and, and getting the job and, and being cast, Anything Goes has been populated by some of the most incredible performers in musical theater history, starting right off the bat, right? We have these these delicious characters. You got Reno Sweeney, who's a, a famous kind of evangelist, but also a lounge cabaret singer. It's a really interesting combination of occupations in one character. Yes. And she was originally played by Ethel Merman, probably the most famous Broadway star of her time, if not all time. Absolutely. And uh, because someone that legendary played that role, ever since... That role has been populated by Broadway divas, right? We have Ethel Merman, we have Eileen Rogers, Patti Lapone, and then most recently Sutton Foster. What do you think of these ladies? Because they're all true talents, to be said for sure. Now, now I have to say, I wasn't around when Anything Goes first premiered. That was 1934, and I was still... I was still a whisper of a chance of a dream in my mama's ovaries back then. So (laughs) I... Yes. I didn't see the original, but I, I I did have the pleasure of meeting her backstage at the Broadhurst Theater in the mid-60s. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yes, and let me tell you, she was everything you'd hope she'd be. That's <laughs> but, wonderful. Yes, by which I mean she called me a C-word and told me my calves looked like unbaked loaves of French bread. <laughs> she, oh, I'm so, I don't mean to laugh. I'm so sorry. No, she was truly one of a kind. I love her. She's a doll. So, as you're saying, she originated the role of Reno Sweeney in Anything Goes, Ethel did, and yeah. uh, wound up playing the role in the first mo- movie version. Uh, True, because they did make a film version. You're absolutely right. Yes, but I don't know if you knew this, but she almost didn't get the chance because 
Bing Crosby was starring in the movie, and he wanted his wife Dixie Lee to play the role, but she dropped out. Wow, I did not know that. This is true to fact trivia. So after his wife dropped out, Bing wanted the role to go to his second favorite co-star, a crate of Johnny Walker whiskey, but <laughs> which also is true to fact trivia. But producers told him that wasn't physically possible. So they went back to Ethel Merman, and the rest is history. But yeah, God bless her. She uh, she's a tough cookie with uh, the mouth of a sailor. And by that, I mean not a sailor in anything goes, like an actual sailor. That's why she called me the C-word. It was was everything I would have dreamed. That's wonderful. She set the bar high for Broadway belters. Yes. Now, Eileen Rogers, who came to the role in the The 60s. 60s, yes. Yeah. Maybe not as big of a voice as, as Ethel Merman, and I think it's probably a personality that people don't know very very well now you were alive in the 60s so do do you remember much about Eileen you know I don't know much about her but I did audition for that 1960s version and oh uh, no yeah so this is this is my anything goes audition story if wow okay I'm since I didn't have a chance in the in the 30s and I knew that this role was a quintessential Broadway broad Role. I knew I had to go for it. So sure. In the 1960s, I uh, I knew deep down that I could sing the shingles off any theater, and I could dance the tits off any other broad anywhere on Broadway, even Eileen. <laughs> uh, you know. So this was a different game because this anything goes was getting relaunched off Broadway, where there are no rules, just like at Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> so. I got an audition for the show, and I knew this was the biggest opportunity of my career, but there was just one hitch. I'd, I'd been rehearsing so hard, my pipes were raw. Oh, and also, no. yes, also I got into a screaming match with my landlord because of his new policy about not allowing bobcats in the building. Oh, did yeah. you have a live bobcat in the building? Well, darling, I'm a, I'm a classic triple threat. I'm a singer, a dancer, and the owner of four illegal bobcats. <laughs> anyway, so I had been screaming, and I had been rehearsing, and my pipes were raw. So I needed something to restore my competitive edge. And a, a performer friend of mine, an A-list performer, recommended fish oil to soothe the inflammation. So... Before my big day, I pounded two liters of the stuff, and, you know, it worked. It actually worked. My voice never sounded more strong and steady. I I wish I could say the same for my bowels. Of course. I'm sorry, this podcast is turning very scatological. I hope hope, uh, the listeners don't mind, but... uh, I mean, it takes place on a ship. There's a poop deck. I think we're good. Okay, great. So right there in the middle of my rendition of uh, I Get a Kick Out of You, my leotard got a kick out of something. I don't know how to put it delicately, but I I shat myself in the middle of that audition and everyone knew it. I knew it. The producers knew it. My cab driver on the ride home definitely knew it. (laughs) Uh, And guess who else knew it? Eileen goddamn Rogers. No. Yes. Who stole the role of Reno Sweeney right out from under me. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm a real competitive dame. I really Yeah. Am. It gives me no pleasure to offer compliments to my fellow performers, but because my generation didn't believe in that stuff, it was every gal for herself. But I yeah. do 
I do want to say that Eileen Rogers could belt out a tune. Oh, good. Yeah, she had stronger pipes than the men's room at Shea Stadium. <laughs> she still sure could sing. Yeah, she sure could. And you know what? I, I actually really do love that 60s version of Anything Goes. It has some great songs like Heaven Hop and Take Me Back to Manhattan. Oh, Heaven Hop, yes. And then that got deleted later, huh? Right, yeah. Yeah. Anything Goes got probably its biggest and most successful revival at Lincoln Center, starring the legendary Patti LuPone. October 20th, 1987, in fact. I have in my hands the review from Ben Brantley, who's the really harsh critic from the New York York Times. Times. Mm -hmm. And this is how his review for Anything Goes began. Forget about the Coliseum, the Louvre Museum, a melody from a symphony by Strauss, Patti LuPone is the top. That's how the review begins, Barbara. And it's just like a love letter to her. Well, you know, the number You're the Top from Anything Goes is, of course, one of Cole Porter's sexual innuendos. And (laughs) the line is, if I'm the bottom, you're the top. And, you know, in that original version in 1933, the lyric was, if I'm the power bottom, you're the top, which admittedly (laughs) is too spicy even for today. So... Maybe he was trying to say that Patty was a top to a power bottom. That's fascinating. I never thought that this could be the declaration of Cole Porter's sexual preferences. Yes, I mean, it's, it's through all of the tunes. You can find yeah. it anywhere. They're hidden yeah. like little, little codes, a little path to his sexuality. The shoe fits, right? Mm-hmm. Now, she did not win a Tony Award for that performance, and I think it... I think it irked her, I'm not going to lie, especially with a review like that from the Times. It instead right. went to Joanna Gleason for Into the Woods. Right, and then later went to Sutton Foster, huh? That must have Ex- put a thorn in her side. Exactly, Barbara. And then so then the 2000s come around with this latest Anything Goes revival, Sutton Foster, big Broadway belter, triple threat. Uh, although I don't know if she owns Bobcats, so might need to rethink that. But she wins a Tony for playing Reno, and boy, that must have... There were some angry Norma Desmonds, if you know what I mean. You know what I have to say? Personally, I don't think revivals should be eligible for major awards, you know? Oh, interesting. And why do you think that? They should only be given out to completely original works of theater, like Jagged Little Pill, or the one where the kids are trying to figure out uh, how to pay their rent. (laughs) Oh, the title escapes me at the moment, but you you know what yeah, I'm yeah. saying. I think it actually is called Rent. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's a yeah. little bit older than, than Jagged Little Pill, though. Right. Are but you these are both that? brilliant original pieces, and that's the point oh, I'm I trying see. to drive home. Not sure. mounting the same thing over and over and over and over. I, mm. I feel like Cole Porter led us to this golden age of musicals. Uh, that are exemplified by by shows like Beetlejuice the Musical, you know, Pretty Woman the Musical, and of course, uh, The Karate Kid Part 3 the Musical, which had to halt previews due to the pandemic. But I hear Nathan Lane is amazing as Mr. Miyagi. It's a shame they had to pull that one. But these are at least original stories and not just revivals. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I see what you're saying. Nothing says the wit and intelligence of of Cole Porter 
like the Karate Kid Part 3. You you really get me. Now, there were other stars in the original Anything Goes besides Miss Ethel Merman. There was a fellow by the name of William Gaxton. Now, he was a popular comedian known for impressions. So you, you see, and he played Billy Crocker, who throughout the show has to don many disguises And those sorts of moments in the show were crafted for him and his impressions. You also had Victor Moore, who I had never heard of before doing the research for this show, was quite possibly one of the biggest stars of the time. He was in hit after hit after hit. He knew how to pick those roles. And for being kind of a not a traditional leading man, but a scrappy character actor, really made a name for himself in the 1930s. I have no idea who those guys are. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. It's okay. I didn't either. But apparently they were big deals back then. Those roles have been, once again, morphed. Now the Billy Crocker role is more of a singer-dancer than an impressionist. Let's actually, because we were talking about some of these really fun characters, let's just give a brief synopsis of this show that has so many twists and turns, uh, it, it, it can get quite convoluted, like you said. You know, the the plot, I can't follow it. People talk so much faster back then. You watch it now and you get swimmy trying to keep up. I feel like I'm watching an episode of The Crown with the subtitles turned off. It's just all chirps and buzzes to me, you know? Isn't it interesting? I I fall into the same problems, Barbara, where a show will be in English and yet I need subtitles. I'm like, what language am I speaking? Exactly. They're talking so fast. It's just like... Especially... I don't know if you ever got into Game of Thrones. I only made it, you know, to season three because it was just it was a little too gory for me. Uh, but uh, but I had to put on subtitles then and they weren't even saying that much. They were just, you know, killing each other a lot. Right, especially in that last season. It's all just... So you you made it all the way through. I'm impressed, Barbara. Well, what else am I going to do during a pandemic? I uh, I binged it over the course of 48 hours. Oh my gosh, that is a lot of Game of Thrones. Yes, I read some of those uh, spoilers online and then I just got to the meaty ones. <laughs> but um, But I understand, it's a lot of thick accents and also... Not real accents, like they're all over the place, they're all over the map. Yeah, do you ever do like coaching or teaching in terms of uh acting and dialects and all of those sorts of things? You know, I'm, I I'm just curious, I haven't gotten into dialect coaching just yet, but that's a good uh good suggestion. I could make a video, but I, I do do some vocal, you know, singing tutorials right. because I studied under the famous Jerry Corb. He, he and his brother had that, that famous vocal studio in New York City called the Vocal Corbs. And um, <laughs> what they taught me was when you're reaching for those high notes, you have to sing from your sphincter. You know? Oh, sure. Yes. Otherwise, th- there's very few people that can sing those high notes without giving themselves anal fissures. So you need to have the proper <laughs> technique. And... The Vocal Corbs, the studio closed after the death of Jerry Corb, and they don't really have anybody else teaching their legacy. So I am teaching their method currently to a couple young students. Oh, that's great. Lucky uh, kids they are. Yes, they are. So Anything Goes, Act 1, starts out, like we said, with this cruise liner called the USS American, I think. 
And mm-hmm. we have all of these folks coming onto the ship, one of which is Miss Reno Sweeney. She has been hired to come aboard the ship to both entertain and save souls. Nothing more American than that. Then you've got her male friend. There, There's nothing between them romantically as far as he's concerned uh, by the name of Billy Crocker. Billy comes up to Reno before she's going onto the ship and says, Reno, I just had the most amazing night with this girl. I don't know who she is. We were both in a taxi cab and we just drove around and around and and I think I love her. And Reno is like, oh, I wish you loved me. And so then she sings, I get a kick out of you. And, you know, we always talk about Oklahoma as being so daring for opening a show with just a, a solo, right? There's no mm-hmm. no big fireworks, no chorus girls in tiny outfits. It was just Ann Eller churning butter with Curly singing, oh, what a beautiful morning. And yet here in the 1930s, we have Ethel Merman singing a slow ballad right at the top of the show. But then I get get a kick out of you. She's dropping things like, don't get no kick from cocaine. So that's yeah. a real spicy lyric. Yeah, right? that's a little spicier than churning butter. You're totally right. I also hear that they had to change that lyric for high school productions to coding. <laughs> so it's a little more relevant? Yes. You know, less intense for the children. Sure. There probably was a version where the lyric was heroin, because heroin is my favorite high. (laughs) Back when I was on the scene, everybody was doing drugs. We did coke, horse, dust, juleps, dundos, the whole bit. I haven't heard of 75% of those, but I'm I'm about as stone-cold sober as you get. There's all different kinds of chemical. To, to stay under the, the radar of the FDA, you must be creative. There are other people getting on the ship, namely Moonface Martin. Now, he is a gangster, and he thinks that he's a really good gangster. He's actually not that great of a gangster. He's known as Public Enemy Number 13. So he's not even cracking the top 10 of, of public enemies at this time. He's got his girlfriend, Bonnie, who's, you know, your typical gangster mall and they are waiting for their boss who is snake eyes johnson public enemy number one like he's he's the guy that everyone is looking after and and in the 1930s this is when we're really celebrating criminals and crooks right they're on the front page of newspaper which is something that we don't do nowadays at all oh not at all of course not as it turns out The girl that Billy Crocker has been obsessed with is also getting on the ship. Her name is Hope Harcourt. She's getting on with her fiancé. Gasp! She's actually uh, engaged to this very elegant British gent named Sir Evelyn Oakley. And then she also has a, a domineering mother. And so as Billy is leaving, he sees her that she's going to be getting on the ship. And now he has to get on. Moonface Martin the gangster is dressed as a reverend. Billy Crocker sneaks on board and gets the passport of Snake Eyes Johnson Public Enemy Number 1 so that he can stay on board and maybe convince Hope to be with him. And by the end of this big Bon Voyage number, everybody's trapped on the ship and hilarity is bound to happen. Yeah, I just have to say that already I'm lost. <laughs> you know, 
is so clear that anything goes is just pure nonsense. And for a Broadway show, that's really saying something, you know? <laughs> I I actually remember a time I snuck into the opening night of The Lion King. And I, yes. I was expecting to see actual singing animals. And when I realized it was just a bunch of Cirque du Soleil people with pipe cleaners glued to their foreheads, I shouted, fake, and was escorted <laughs> out by security. So... To say anything goes as nonsense is 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 it's it's saying something. It's saying something, yeah. <laughs> Do you have more to say about the plot? Was that just Act One? Because I'm gonna die. <laughs> that was actually the first scene, but we we don't. That was, that was the, the first scene. That oh, was the first God. scene. I want my money back. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually filled with lots of hysterical twists and turns. You know, switch them ups. Switch them ups. Basically, what ends up happening, spoiler alert, they all need to tell the truth because Reno Sweeney sings this great song called Blow Gabriel Blow, right? Which, again, is another one of those uh, (laughs) innuendos. It is, it is. You know, that song, Blow Gabriel Blow, was actually censored from the first movie version because it didn't conform to the motion picture production code. That is truth. Wow. And the reason being was that the song was suggestive, of course, because it was about a trumpet, which (laughs) many consider the most sexual of all instruments. You put your lips on it, there's some fingering involved, and there's a spit valve. It's all very naughty. Continue. Yeah, thank you. Um, But in any case, she uses this song, I guess in an ironic way, now that you mention it, to inspire the sinners that may be around her to confess their sins and be saved. And so uh, in doing so, Moonface Martin confesses that he is, in fact, who he is, not a reverend. And Billy Crocker confesses that he is not public enemy number one, like everyone has been obsessed with throughout the show, that he is, in fact, just plain old Billy Crocker, which means they both get thrown into the jail in the cruise liner. Now, I I didn't even know there was, like, cruise jail. Cruise jails. Yeah. Well, there's got to be. Yeah. What kind of people are on a cruise ship anyway? They're all criminals. In jail, Billy's feeling very depressed because all he really wanted was hope, and now it seems that literally hope is lost. Moonface manages to build his spirits back up by singing about a bluebird, which is really funny. Trust me on that. And then they break out of jail in yet another disguise. Now, the other person to tell the truth is Sir Evelyn O'Clay, who lets it be known that he once had an affair with a young Chinese girl by the name of Plum Blossom. And this, of course, is news to Hope because uh, she didn't know about this tryst. But that gives Reno Sweeney the idea to dress up as Plum Blossom so that maybe they can end up together. Anyway, by the end of the show, Reno and Evelyn are together. You got Hope and Billy together. Moonface, like everybody ends up with somebody and uh, and they sing Anything Goes. I just want to know, what was the obsession with the Chinese? It, it's interesting, right? Yeah. You know, we frown nowadays on words like exotic because it it's both derogatory and embarrassing. But <laughs> but back then, anything that wasn't boring and vanilla white 
was incredibly attractive to Western culture. And so you see a real interest in Cuba. You see a real interest in right, South like America. Her, and the, the King and I musicals exactly. like and, that. And then in the East as well, yeah. So instead of just figuring out a way to be interesting, they just shoehorn ethnicities in there? Yeah, I think so. I think you're exactly right. Right. You know, speaking of which, interestingly, you know, that title song, And If yeah. It Goes, is most famous for being in the opening credits of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Something you else this? that's quite problematic. Absolutely. Right, Are you kidding that's me? Right. I love me some Indiana Jones. Right. It, it was performed It was performed by Kate Capshaw, that opening number. And I was up for that role, too. You're kidding me. Yes, but I didn't get it because I was neither invited nor admitted into the casting sessions. Oh, no. Did you yeah. storm that audition? Of course. Oh, what do you think? Yeah. Who do you think I am? You're a goer. You're a getter. Exactly. The first time that I did Anything Goes, I've done it three times now. We had to Congratulations, change... darling. Thank you, Barbara. It was, you know, at a small community theater in northern Utah, and we had to change some of the lyrics. And I remember thinking, this song was written in 1930. How are How is it possibly offensive? What did they consider racy? I think because the lyric says, but now God knows, was kind of considered more of a, like, taking the Lord's name in vain type thing. So we said, but heaven knows. I think also nudist parties. There's a verse about nudist parties and gigolos. Anything right. goes. Yes. That one got changed. I don't know what to maybe. Fully clothed parties. Yes. <laughs> Consensual, fully clothed parties. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. It makes me think like if it was that racy when I was younger, what were, what were people in the 30s thinking? Apparently they loved it. Well, yeah, of course they do. Who doesn't want sex, sex, sex? <laughs> Which is no. why Cole Porter is so popular. Are there any other tunes that we haven't mentioned? All Through the Night, which is a beautiful song. Easy to Love. Oh, Easy oh, to Love. a gorgeous tune, yes. Is a perfect song, as far as I'm concerned. Do you, you sing yourself, don't you? I do. I do. And if, it, would that be the choice you would make? If I'm going to sing an old school ballad, Easy to Love, top of the list, Wonderful. for sure. Do you have a nice, rich tone? <laughs> I try. Maybe you should sign up for my lessons, darling. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, singing with my sphincter with uh, Barbara Dixon. Exactly. I only yeah. charge a low, low price of $250 per 20 minutes. Oh, my gosh. But do you know what? You probably get results, don't you? I do get results. And that, uh, that actually reminds me, how much am I getting paid for this podcast? Um... Your silence leads me to believe it's a huge, hefty sum. And I do, I take Venmo, I take, actually, I do not take Venmo. I don't know what that is. I only have a flip phone. But I, but there is a Western Union near my house if you'd like to wire transfer. Western Union? I haven't used that thing in ages, but I'm hoping to just send you a lot of traffic for people who want those business cards and oh, maybe we'll call it too. even. That, that could work too, darling. Great. I don't, that would be awesome. Yeah. Wonderful. So I have done it a couple times, like I said. Have you been able to do it? I know that you went in, you know, for that 1960s version, but... Yes, but then, you know, you know, the debacle. We yeah, of course. To... I did eventually have the last laugh because in the late 90s, I finally got a chance to play Reno Sweeney. 
You're kidding. I oh, did. Barbara, that makes me so happy. I know, I did. And it, it was anything goes as it was meant to be seen, as the featured entertainment on a Serbian cruise liner. <laughs> my, uh, my co-stars were a former Yugoslavian weatherman, and playing Moonface Martin was whatever passenger won that evening's raffle. So it was a wild mess of a show. <laughs> what an exercise in yes and. I know, but I, I, I did finally get that chance to play Reno for one night only. You see, there was a viral outbreak of Legionnaire's disease the day after we left port, so the ship had to immediately turn around. But I finally accomplished what I set out to do 30 years before when, you know, the dreams got scuttled by two liters of fish oil. But hey, that, <laughs> that's showbiz, right? It certainly is. The real legacy of Anything Goes is its timelessness. You can put those tunes in any context and it still works, you know? Yeah. You could even, you could do a version of the show about life in the year 2020 and just change the title to Everything Blows. <laughs> you know you have got the COVID and your racist uncle voted for Trump again because everything blows. <laughs> See, it works no matter the time period. I think Cole would appreciate it, and I think that it deserves to live on, so amen. Thank um, you so much. Anything Goes is a ridiculous, hilarious show that, that still holds up in many ways and deserves our, at least, recognition for ushering in just some of the silliest humor that, that we could ever hope for in a, in a Broadway musical. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This was, Barbara... This was a- Thank you. I am honored. I am honored to have you and your presence and Thank your you. wisdom and, and everything that is you on this show. To talk about a legendary show, who better to have than a, than a legendary performer? Oh, thank you so much. It was a delight, you know, and I know, <laughs> I know I said some prickly things about my first love Broadway, but I really do love musical theater. And I just know, even though things are so uncertain right now, that we're going to bounce back. Amen, sister. The world is an unpredictable, scary place, but I know that sometime in the future, people are going to gather together yet again, huddled in the darkness as one, to watch a bunch of people in leotards pretending to be cats. (laughs) From your mouth to God's ears, Barbara Dixon. Thank you so much. Thank you for it. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always contact me by email at a musical podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at a musical podcast for more great content. And don't forget about our T Public store that has great designs based on favorite moments of podcasts, past and present. Barbara, One more time, how can we follow you on all things that you're up to? Well, I do have an Instagram, which is at Broadway Barbara Official. And you can also email me uh, at at broadwaybarbara at gmail.com. And then my website, broadwaybarbaraofficial.com for, you know, future shows and all the like. But right now I am putting out a lot of beautiful tutorial videos. My latest is about my health practices. You know, staying trim can be difficult. So I I have a smoothie, a special smoothie tutorial uh, on my Instagram if you want to check that out. Fantastic. I think we will all take a gander. 
Thank you again, Barbara. And everybody out there, keep tapping your toes. Yeah, keep keep tapping those tits off. <laughs> Tap your toes, because anything goes. You know, the plot of Anything Goes is essentially a love triangle on board a boat. So basically, Titanic, if it had songs in 40% more Billy Zane. You know what? <laughs> Actually, you could argue that Anything Goes got ripped off by the Titanic musical and, you know, the Titanic movie, and even yeah. to a lesser extent, the actual Titanic itself. Everything's derivative. I can't speak. I really should work on my diction. Sunshine City, Sunshine City, Sunshine City, Sunshine City, Sunshine City, Sunshine City. Can you do that? No, what? I don't even know what you're saying. Sunshine City, Sunshine City. Sunshine City, Sunshine City. Uh-oh, that that's a recipe for disaster. I don't know if I should do that one. But I do it perfectly. Sunshine City, Sunshine City, Sunshine City, Sunshine City, Sunshine City. Um. Anyway, now I'm ready. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.